We are uh, in between series. Finished up one last week. We'll start another one in a couple weeks. So today, if you noticed from the front of your message notes uh, folder that was in your bulletin, we're going to be talking about you and me and serial killers. And I want to start today with a passage of Scripture. I don't normally do that, but um, uh, I want to start with a passage of Scripture that without a question is among the greatest words uh, ever written in the Bible. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 9. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn there to the book of Ephesians, uh, you can use the message notes folder. The Scriptures are in there. Um, you can also um, follow along on the screen, so... Uh, one way or another, you can follow on with all of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll start in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature or our flesh. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You ought to underline that right there. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This passage of scripture contains the whole gospel. The whole complete entire gospel message is contained in this passage of scripture. And what's more, it's there in six words. Just six words there that if we know them and, and we know what they mean, then we know the gospel and we can share it with anybody. And the six words come in three sets of two. Two words each. The first from verse one, first two words. The second two words from verse four. And the third two words from verse eight. Let's look at them uh, briefly here for just a moment. Verse one, the words you were. Verse 4 are the words, but God. Verse 3 or verse 8 is, you believed. Those first two words, you were, describe the true hopeless condition apart from God's grace for everyone in the world who is not saved. And if we are saved, if we're followers of Christ, it describes what we used to be. You were this. Then the next two words tells us how grace works, how grace comes into being in our lives. But God. 
talks about what God was willing to do in order for us to be saved. And those last two words explain how we come into contact with God's grace. You believe. We believe. Some translations say it's through faith. It means the same thing. And it's not faith plus works or faith plus anything else. It is faith alone that brings the blessing of grace into our lives. And so there it is. The whole gospel in six words. You were, but God, you believe. God made it so simple that anybody could understand it. Even you. And we could share it with anyone else. Philip Yancey, the writer, calls grace the last great word. And what he means, what he really means is that grace is one of those few words that has pretty much retained its original meaning. Down across all the years and the centuries, grace still pretty much means what it originally meant. It's free and unmerited. It's a a free gift. It's something that cannot be earned or deserved. We use it all the time. Maybe not the word grace, but, but we use a form of it when we say grace to give thanks for our food. Or when we're grateful for something. That's a, a form of that word. Or if we eat in a restaurant and, and at the end of the meal we leave a gratuity. That's a form of the word. Something that's offered to us at, at no cost is said to be gratis. And if you grew up down south like I did... It was free gratis, which means free, free. I don't understand that, but that's how we said it. You can pay a a bill that's late with no penalty or return overdue books without a fine during a what? Grace period. So the the concept, the definition remains, remains with us to today. And and in the church, we sing songs about grace. We write poems about grace. We, We name our children after grace. We name our churches after grace. Put Flora in the middle of a 20-mile circle and you've got Grace Brethren Church here in town and Grace Baptist Church in Frankfurt and Grace Methodist in Kokomo and Grace Lutheran in Lafayette and Grace Fellowship in Logansport. And that's not even counting all the churches that have grace as some form of their name. But for all that, honestly, truthfully, A lot of us don't really understand grace. And a lot of us don't really believe grace. And most of us just don't think about it that much. Part of the problem is the nature of grace itself. Grace is shocking. Really, honestly, grace is ridiculous. It's scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. Because all of our lives, we've been taught you get what you deserve. Or you get what you pay for. We've been taught that there's no such thing as a free lunch. If some telemarketer gets us on the phone... And says, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to give you a free trip to Hawaii. We all go, well, that's great. Sign me up, don't we? 
No, we go, forget that. Grace just doesn't seem to fit in our world. It scares us. It, because, because grace teaches us that God does for people what we would never do for them. I mean, think about it. If it was up to us, who would we save? Well, naturally, we would save ourselves. Beyond ourselves, who would we save? We'd look for good people, wouldn't we? We'd look for kind people and, and generous people and, and, uh, and people who were friendly and nice people. But the Bible tells us that grace, that the grace of God starts with the prostitutes and the thieves and the corrupt politicians and works down from there. Grace scares us because we know that grace costs the giver everything and the receiver nothing. We don't like that. Grace is given to people who don't deserve it, who barely recognize it and hardly appreciate it. And I, I want us to feel today the shocking nature of grace, the scandalous nature of grace. I want us to feel the weight of grace because I, I'm convinced that, that experiencing that is the only way that we will grow to embrace grace and to, to love it and to live it out. And so I want us to think about it this way. Let me see your hand if you remember the name Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. You got a, got a picture of him? There he is. Jeffrey Dahmer in the late 1980s and early 1990s seduced young men, murdered them, ate some of them. He was a pervert, and a killer, and a cannibal. In February 1992, he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life sentences for the 15 murders he was convicted of. There were other murders he had committed, but there no longer existed any physical evidence, and so he couldn't be convicted of those. Shortly after he went to prison, Dahmer agreed to meet with a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe in Wisconsin. That's where the, he was in prison. That's where Ratcliffe was a pastor. And they began to study the Bible together, and eventually Jeffrey Dahmer professed faith in Jesus Christ. And he was baptized in May of 1994. And, and Radcliffe, Pastor Radcliffe wrote a book about his association with Dahmer. And he said that Dahmer confessed his sins, that he, he cried out to Jesus to save him, that he expressed incredible remorse for the things that he had done. But he also doubted that he could be forgiven. And his, his opinion was that he should have been put to death for his crimes. Well, in November 1994... He got his wish because Jeffrey Dahmer was beaten to death with a shower rod by a fellow inmate. Now somebody says, Pastor, do you think he was really saved? Well, only God knows that. I mean, bottom line. But what about this? What if you are the parent of one of the young men that Dahmer 
abused, and murdered. And what if one Sunday you walked into church here and Jeffrey Dahmer was standing right here sharing his testimony about how God had saved him? How would you react? That's easy for me. If he had murdered one of my boys, there'd better be a few of you ready to restrain me and keep me from coming up here on this platform and killing him with my bare hands. A person like that doesn't deserve to live. He deserves to be in hell, and I'm only too happy to send him there. And so I ask you, is there grace for Jeffrey Dahmer? Now, let me tell you what our first response is. Because we're good little Christian girls and boys, and because we think we're supposed to say it, we will almost casually, flippantly say, well, sure, there's grace even for people like Jeffrey Dahmer. And when we say that, it reveals as much about us as it does about him. See, I'm willing to bet that pretty much all of us think we're better than Jeffrey Dahmer. Or at least that we're not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. Hey, no bones about it. I think I'm better than he was. I mean, I've never done the things that he did. I never even thought that they never even crossed my mind or my imagination. So when I say, sure, there's grace even for the likes of a Jeffrey Dahmer, you know what I'm doing? I'm letting him into that circle of people that God might save, but I'm letting him in on the fringe, right, on the edge. I am certainly not bringing him to my level or putting myself on his level because I think I'm better than he is. And so do you. But here's the truth. There is grace only for the Jeffrey Dahmers of this world. <laughs> now some of you are ready to fight, aren't you? You're ready to push back. Pastor, how in the world can you say that? Are, are you saying that God somehow favors the, the, the perverse, or those who commit these heinous crimes and terrible sins? Are you, are you saying that the greater your sin, the more likely you are to find God's grace? Are you saying that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more? I mean, that can't be true, can it? Do you know the Apostle Paul had to deal with questions like that? Do you know the Apostle Paul taught grace in such a way that people came to him and said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that we should go out and sin more so that we get more grace? And Paul had to explain. He had to talk them down off that ledge. They were mistaken in that thought, but that's how Paul taught grace. It made him think that. And here's the deal. If when I teach grace, at least half of you don't think I'm on the borderline of heresy, I'm not teaching it right. If most of you don't think, oh, he's taking grace too far, then I'm not teaching it the way the Bible teaches it. You know, we're a lot like that Pharisee that Jesus talked about, the one who went to the temple to pray and the tax collector was also there. And, the, and Jesus said the tax collector tore his clothes and, and beat himself in the chest and talked about how unworthy he was for God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. But the Pharisee, 
Well, he prayed like this. It's in Luke 18, verses 11 and 12. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I, I give you a tenth of my income. And he might as well have said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer. It's true, isn't it? He wasn't like Jeffrey Dahmer. And he wasn't saved either. He left the temple with the same sins he went in with. It was the tax collector, Jesus said, who went home justified, who went home saved. Because here's the deal. Jesus did not come to save semi-sinners or partial sinners or, or not so bad or little sinners. And as long as I think that I'm better than somebody else, and I'm not ready to be saved from my sin because I, it shows that I don't understand how huge my sin really is. Listen now. I'm not, I'm not trying to be facetious. But you know the difference between me and Miley Cyrus? And let's just say it like this. The difference between you and Miley Cyrus is our sin and our bad decisions were not televised this past week. That's the difference. Let's get some further perspective on this. Let's say that we throw Jeffrey Dahmer into the deepest pit on earth. And let's go ahead and throw Miley Cyrus in there with him. Huh. Okay? The deepest pit on earth, Jeffrey Dahmer, Miley Cyrus. I mean, since she is apparently the, the worst person who has ever existed on planet earth according to what we see on the internet this past week and let's 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 make sure we throw her in there with jeffrey dahmer and then let's you and me let's let's us go to downtown chicago and go to the very top of the willis tower it used to be called the sears tower now it's the willis tower it's the tallest completed building in north america and let's when we get to the top let's lean over the railing and way down in the bottom of that deepest pit on earth, there's Miley Cyrus and there's Jeffrey Dahmer. And let's ridicule them. And let's jeer at them. And then let's congratulate ourselves because we're so far above them. We're so high above them. But how does God see it? I, I mean, let's say, just for instance, just pulling a number. Let's say that God looks at the earth as if he is a billion miles away. I don't know how far heaven is from earth, but let's say it's that far. Do you know what happens to that distance between you and me and Miley and Jeffrey from a billion miles? You know what happens to that distance? Tell me what happens to it. It disappears. It completely disappears. That's why Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, No one is righteous, not even one. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Because here's the news, whether we like it or not. We're all 
in the same boat. The words of Jesus also come to mind from Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In another place, Jesus would say, the people who are well, they don't need a physician. The people who are sick. If you think you're well, you just toddle right along. Be as happy as you can be, as dumb as you are. Even Jesus can't save a person who won't admit that they need to be saved. And as long as you and I cling to our self-righteousness, we will be hopelessly lost. And there's nothing that can be done to help us. Apart from God's grace, there is no righteousness to be found anywhere. Let me show you the only righteous person at New Hope, or anywhere else for that matter. He hung right there on that cross. His name is Jesus. And compared to him, I am Jeffrey Dahmer. And so are you. Jesus was pure and perfect and holy in every way. He never sinned, not even once. He was tempted directly by the devil himself. He never gave in. And all the rest of us fall so far short, we don't even deserve to be mentioned in the same breath with him. He is, was, will be the only righteous man ever to walk the earth. And what did he get for it? His reward for unequaled holiness and doing God's will perfectly was a bloody Roman cross. And that's why grace is shocking and scandalous. Because from the murder of the perfect man came God's plan to rescue the human race. Now with all that as background, let's look again at that passage of Scripture that we started with from Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 9, the most extensive statement in the Bible about God's grace. Because it tells us, it gives us the, how, the, the, the why, the how. That God saves people. First of all, we see why grace was needed. Why grace was needed? Because you were. Look at verses 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. You know why we need God's grace? Not because of our sin. Because we were dead. We were dead. We were spiritually dead and separated from God. 
When God looks down from heaven, he sees a graveyard. And here's the, here's the sad thing about it. We're dead and we don't know it. We're the walking dead. We're the walking dead and we can't know God. We can't know Him personally. We can't do anything about our condition. What if you were at the ball game this, this past Friday night? Largest crowd this season probably for Carroll football. And you were standing next to Dr. Dutter. And, and he points out a man in the crowd who's just having a great time. I mean, he's cheering and he's laughing and he's yelling for the team and, and he's eating pork burgers and nachos with that mystery meat sauce stuff on it. He's just living it up, having a great time. And Dr. Dutter says, that man doesn't know it yet, but he has an incurable disease and he'll be dead within a week. Does that change how you see and think and feel about that man? Does it kind of make the activities he's currently involved in seem kind of trivial and pointless and time-wasting? And yet that's us. That's what God sees when he looks at the world. Dead men walking. To be dead is a hopeless condition. You can't say to a dead man, hey, get up. And expect him to do anything. You can't talk the dead back to life. But when God looks down from heaven, he sees the graveyard filled with the dead. The thing is, they, they look like they're alive. They, they, they laugh, they talk, they plan, they fight, they marry, they, they dream about the future. And one day, eventually, they will physically die. But make no mistake, they are dead because that's the human condition apart from God. Apart from grace, we're all dead. So when God wants to save somebody, first of all, he finds a dead person. And then, how was grace given? How was grace given? But God. But God. Verse 4, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated, it with him, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. But God, our salvation hinges on those two words, hangs on those words. We were dead, but God. We were slaves, but God. We were trapped, but God. We were in self-destruct mode, but God. We were lost in sin, but God. There are three key words there in verses 4 and 5. Maybe you should underline those. The words love, mercy, and grace. Love is that decision that originates in the heart of God. That decision to reach out to us. That decision without which we would have been hopelessly 
lost. Mercy is God withholding the punishment that we deserve. And grace, grace is that unmerited favor. The unearnable gift. The blessings of God we can never qualify for. We can never perform good enough to deserve to have them. Somebody asked me, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Well, they're similar. They overlap. They, they, again, they come from God's heart of love to us. But, but mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Punishment, judgment, the death penalty that is the wages for our sin. While grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Salvation. Union with Christ. Being seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Those words in those two verses offer us the remedy for our desperate condition. I love what Tullian Chivijan says about grace. Tullian is, is Billy Graham's grandson. He says that grace is one-way love. It's one-way love. Because grace always comes to us from God. It never flows the other way. It never flows from us to God. Grace never goes up. It always comes down. Grace, by definition, means that God gives us what we could never deserve and could not earn. No matter what we did. So what does grace accomplish? What grace accomplishes is accomplished through faith or because you believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And here we discover what grace accomplishes in the human heart. And it doesn't come by works. And it doesn't come by religion. And it doesn't come by anything that we might think of as earning God's grace. Grace saves through faith. Nothing more. Nothing less. Nothing else. What is it in us? that always wants to add something to God's grace. What is that part of us? Where does that come from? Why do we want to say, oh yeah, grace, but add this. Grace, but what you wear. Grace, but what you don't wear. Grace, but what you watch on TV. Grace, but what you listen to on the radio. It, whatever. The minute we add anything to grace, it's not grace anymore. It's something else. It's ungrace. I mean, think about it. Take your favorite recipe and add, oh, let's say half a cup of Frank's Red Hot to it because you can add that stuff to, it, to anything. That's what the commercials say. But it, then it's not your favorite recipe anymore, is it? it is, it's, it's altered. It's changed. One little ingredient and not even that much. Can you imagine sugar cream pie with a half a cup of Frank's Red Hot in it? Add anything to grace and it's not grace anymore. I don't care what it is. 
Oh, how good intentioned it is. I don't care how traditional it is in our church background. I don't care who stood right here and taught us to add it. It humbles us to admit we can't do anything to earn our salvation. But grace has to be free or it's not grace at all. I got an email a couple weeks ago. Did I believe in free grace? I sent back this reply. What other kind is there? If it's not free, it's not grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Apart from works. Apart from all human goodness. God has designed salvation that He gets all the glory. You know why? Because Jesus did all the work. What would heaven be like if we had to earn our way there? I think it'd be like one of those $100 a plate political dinners where people stand around bragging about how much they've given to the candidate or the campaign, you know? Well, I gave $5,000 to the campaign. Well, big deal. I gave $10,000. Oh, that's nothing, guys. I, I gave $50,000. Hey, you small timers, move out of the way. I own that guy. I gave $300,000 to his campaign. Heaven would be, would be just like that if we had to earn our way there. Well, I, I donated food to the food pantry. Yeah, you, you gave can, the dusty old cans of beets and jars of olives. Well, I gave clothes to the thrift store. Well, I worked in the nursery. <laughs> well, I passed out bulletins. I was chairman of the elder board. I had to work with that pastor. I gave a million dollars to world missions. Well, I helped little old ladies across the street. I, I changed the dressings for burn victims. I had all good things. You know, some of them are really good. You know, million dollars to world missions. If you want to do that, then come, let's talk. Come now, let us reason together if you want to do it. But guess what? Not a single one of them can do one thing about any of our sin. They won't help save us. And wouldn't it be awful to, to spend eternity listening to people brag about what they did to earn their salvation? My goodness, it wouldn't be heaven. I mean, can, can you imagine somebody putting their arm around Jesus and saying, you and me, Jesus, we did it. You died on the cross and I baked the cookies. How ridiculous does that sound? But, but put anything else you want in that blank. We did it, Jesus, you and me. You died on the cross and I didn't go see any R-rated movies. We did it, Jesus. You and me. You, you died on the cross, and I only ever listened to Caleb. I heard you can only imagine 58 times a day. We did it, Jesus. You and me. 
You died on the cross, and I never wore anything like what she's got on. My goodness. Put whatever you want in the blank. It's, it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And thank God it's not like that. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the full price for our salvation. And it doesn't matter whether we bake the cookies or not. Jesus paid for it all by himself. An entrance into heaven is limited to those who believe in Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation. Again, that's why God gets all the glory because Jesus did all the work. That's why Jesus invited us into a yoke that was light and easy. That's why he said, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you a list of chores. No. I will give you rest. Now, somebody might say, well, I, Pastor, I, I just don't think that grace can work for me. I mean, I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer, right? I'm no Hitler. But I've done things that are just too bad. And I got good news for you. God specializes in saving really bad people. And if you have things in your background that you would be ashamed to admit to, to talk about in public, then fear not. Because God knows all about it. And His grace is greater than your sin. So how do we get there? How do we get it? How do we find God's grace? Folks, we just ask for it. That's it. It really is that simple. The more we feel the need for grace, the better candidate we are to receive it. If we'll just hold out our, our, our grubby little empty hands and ask God for His grace, we will not be disappointed. We will not be turned away and it's never too late. Though our sins be as scarlet, God says, they shall be whiter than snow. So there's the miracle and the wonder and the scandal and the shock and the weight of God's grace. It's good news for sinners. And it's free. So we shout it and sing it and tell it and share it. And above all, believe it. And you will be saved. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be any competition to, to see who deserves God's grace. There's only going to be one competition. When we look back and we see what we were before, when we see the pit that He rescued us from, when we recall how lost and confused and hopeless we were, when we remember how God reached out and drew us to Himself and to His family, how He, he pulled us to Himself, And when we remember 
how he holds us in his hands. And we remember what Jesus did. His love for us and how he gave himself for us. Then, then the only competition will be to see which one of us can sing the loudest. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.